Welcome to the Forward 40 Podcast, where we highlight the experiences of 40 women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. This is an ode to our foremothers, a healing circle of our unique experiences, and a bridge of insight and wisdom across generations. everyone to another episode of Forward 40. Very, very excited to have the guest in the guest chair today who hails from Tulsa, Oklahoma. She's currently based in Seattle and she is the interim executive director for the Seattle Community Police Commission. So welcome, welcome, Brandy. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk today. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So you hail and have roots from Tulsa and you moved to Seattle with your mother and your son about six years ago. So tell us more about that journey to Seattle and how you made the transition from being a therapist because you have your master's in human relations with a concentration in counseling uh, to working in the space of police reform. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Oh, wow. 2014. It almost feels like a lifetime ago. Um, but um, back in 2014, um, I had um, an amazing friendship classmate that had moved to Seattle right after we got out of college and just was like, see, you got to come to Seattle. It's mm. the place for us. You really need to come up here. They need that Tulsa energy. They need that Tulsa vibe. There's a lot of amazing work that we could do here. Um, they need a strong black woman here in Seattle that has a different set of roots, right? Mm. And I was just like, I don't quite know what that means. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> but yeah, you know, let me look up into it. I feel like um, it's time for me to spread my wings a little bit. I was, um, you know, in my mid-30s at the time, and I was um, feeling like I wanted to really see if I could go outside of my comfort zone mm. and start um, a reputation, a professional reputation for myself outside of the comfort of my hometown, right? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I began to do some research and, you know, just started to kind of put some feelers out there, brought my son up. We came and we vacationed a little bit. We were really intentional about the different parts of um, Seattle, different areas of Washington in general that we went and visited just to kind of see. And mm-hmm. you know, I have to be really honest with you. I was seeing it through rose-colored tourist lenses Mm, (laughs) so uh there were definitely some things that I missed but what I was really excited about that I could see that really came through and translated was this is a place of opportunity right Mm. this is a place for reinvention this is a city that's really big on um creating opportunities for people to be able to do the work, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless to if you sometimes even have the experience, but it's more about do you have the passion, do you have the drive and motivation? And so I was like, this very well could be the platform that could really help me launch my career um, in a different direction. And so, you know, God saw fit. Um, I was offered a position um, through an organization that worked primarily um, with youth homelessness, hmm. and um, they were wanting to build out a mental health component, right? They were like, hey, you know, Brandy, we see your mental health and clinical background and a lot of the community programming that you've done in Tulsa. 
we want to kind of help develop an extended leg of that here within our organization. Would you be interested in coming up? We'll send for you. You know, they kind of wind and dine me again, showed me that kind of rose colored lens of like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a great thing mm-hmm. <laughs> about coming here. And me forever being the, um, you know, the optimist, um, I, I, I like what I saw, right? Um, I like what I saw, like the schools and things like that. Because again, I had to keep in mind that I had a um, eight-year-old son at the time. Yeah. And so um, it just seemed like everything really, you know, really lined up. And so I um, checked in with a couple of my um, most trusted family members. Um, had a wonderful cousin, um, Ananias Carson, who I have to totally give props to. He's no longer with us. Mm-hmm. But he was just like, if anybody could do it, Brandy, it would be you. You wow. go for it. We got your back here. We know, you know, we love you. We trust you. Take everything that everybody has instilled in you up until this point and take it out there and shine. And so that's what I did. I packed up and I came out here and I actually began the journey of a lifetime. Seriously. I really, really did it. Wow, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And also, I commend you. Um, It's not like you were making a transition, you know, as someone who was just moving by yourself, you know, you had a child with you um, at a critical age, you know, like eight years old is still fairly critical. Um, and to just completely uproot yourself and um, you, you're still there. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I guess to the, you know, the comment that you were making about like the, you know, like viewing the city through like rose colored glasses, right? Um, you -hmm. share with me that in your move to Seattle, you were shocked by this progressive veil, if you will. Um, and you had the support of a family and you, you also mentioned that you had spent summers with your grandmother on the West coast. Like how did that either prepare you or shield you from what you encountered in the city? Um, I, I guess, the, the rose-colored uh, glasses <laughs> came off <laughs> rather quickly. So um, how did how did those those visits kind of prepare you or shield you from it to the reality that you um, have experienced being there? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and I was thankful for that conversation that we had, too, because I think a lot of the times we, particularly as Black women, um, are gaslighted a lot, right? And made to feel like our feelings aren't valid or they're imagined. Mm-hmm. And so being able to kind of validate my experience of what I was feeling and seeing was extremely therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go to the summer. So my grandmother um, lived on the West Coast uh, for the major- honestly, almost my entire life. And so I spent Every summer, literally from six months of age until I was about 21, wow. um, spending time with her. Just that, you know, my mom was a, for a good portion of my life, was a single parent. And so this was an opportunity for her to have a little bit of a break and for mm-hmm. me to experience something outside of Oklahoma. And I'm, I'm extremely grateful for it because, you know, it's coming from the Southwest. There's definitely a different energy and vibe on mm. the West Coast. But it was... um. It was eye-opening as a kid because I was a young person who, in the beginning of my formative education years, my mom had me in, like, private schools and Catholic schools and things like that. And so I had not had a lot of um, interactions where 
I was made to feel like I was different or look different, hmm. um, contrary to what most people would think. Um, I was in a community of where I was really embraced, right? Like, even though I was um, different from a lot of like my classmates and things like that. And so when I was in um, California, I remember the first time that I was called the N-word, right? Wow. And I think it shaped, like my grandmother, she said she got a phone call. I was at camp and they were like, ma'am, we don't want to alarm you, Right. And she was like, oh, my gosh, what happened to my grandchild? Like, what's going mm-hmm. on? And she's like, no, 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 I don't know, but I just have a really, like, I want to have a conversation with you. She, my grandmother said the next question was, where exactly is your granddaughter from again? What? And she said, well, what? She said, well, she's from Tulsa. And she said, well, um, where has she been going to school? Like, she, they were so curious about my background and what was going on with me. Then my grandmother said, finally, hey, can you please get to the point? What yeah. is going on? I'm on my <laughs> And she said, well, she was on the playground today and some kids um, just so happened to um, have uttered, you know, we've reprimanded them for it, but they called, they they either directed the word to her or they called the word. And you know how things are always minimized or downplayed, mm-hmm. but they were like, we're not quite sure, but she was, the word was uttered and she was hysterical and she had no idea like what it meant where it came from like she just knew that it was negative right and that it hurt her feelings because of all of the other things that were like attached and added to it Mm -hmm. but it was just really interesting to me I think looking back on it it framed how I moved through the world in a way that I think forever changed me and I honestly didn't even realize it at the time because I was too young to conceptualize it Mm -hmm. But my grandmother's response, I will never forget because she had a conversation with me later. She just simply said, my daughter, her mother, is in a position where she has strived to make sure that she has shielded her child from those type of experiences. Now, granted, my daughter needs to have a conversation with her about the ugliness that is in the world. But she's never encountered anything like that. Hmm. But the fact that they were so appalled, right, that yeah. was even upset said so much to me mm. and it was a precursor I feel like for what my continued experience has been on the west coast right this veiled this veiled honestly racism right this veiled progressiveness this we are you know for the people by the people we're you know we're a democratic state we're super liberal um, you know, we, we we're in this together. That's I call it political theater, mm-hmm. right? Performative allyship, yes. right? Saying the things that they think people want to hear to be able to move an invisible needle mm-hmm. that actually benefits them, right? Yes. To continue to act out a lot of these systems of oppression. Wow. Yes, 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 yes. And I, and I was introduced and I was introduced I was introduced to that as a baby at six years old and now at forty and still in situations primarily with white women in this city in roles of leadership who are calling me metaphorically or in some cases directly the N word mm-hmm. and treating me like I am that, I'm less than that. Right. Mm-hmm. And work and working me and robbing me of my intellectual ability, my passion, my thoughtfulness, 
my creativity, my love, my devotion, mm-hmm. right? Stripping me of all of those things, not compensating me for those things, right? Yeah. Tearing me down for having those abilities innately, right? Co-opting and commodifying my excellence. Yes. And then in the same breath, making me feel less than enough. Yes, 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 yes. Whew. Wow, wow, wow. I just need to breathe. I just need to breathe. I, 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 Thank you and truly appreciate you sharing that account. Um, I know that I would say from an East Coast perspective, right? It's this, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, well, West Coast living is like this, right? Where every, it's kind of right. like the, the, the pleasantries, right? Where mm-hmm. everyone gets along <laughs> and you East Coasters are, <laughs> especially New York, right? Like we're so brazen, <laughs> we're so forward, we're so direct and we're rude. Um, but it, there are those, as you mentioned, you know, it's like the niceties and it's still racism, right? Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It's, it's in the, um, the, the, the robbing of your intellectual property that is your contributions and your creativity that's in the work, right? Uh, it's in co-opting spaces that um, once one feels like they are informed enough, or that they're woke enough that they can command and demand things within spaces that uh, were not meant for them um, to take the reins, right? There's still kind of like this semblance of, uh, you know, we are the masters and you are the slaves, um, or we are the rulers and you are our servants. Um, and we'll just give you enough, but not too much, we don't want you to rock the boat too much, right? Yeah. We don't want to relinquish mm-hmm. our control or redistribute the power that we um, did not justly attain. Uh, and that does not just happen in the streets. It also happens in the workplace. So I'm so grateful uh, that you you shared that. And while Seattle has been on my list, it's not high on my list. Um, <laughs> but I, I have wondered, <laughs> you know, I have wondered um, what the city was like. Um, I know that I, when I was looking at Seattle years ago, I was just like, oh, it seems like it's just like rainy and kind of cold. And I really don't know if I, <laughs> I, I, you know, that it gives me vibes of like London, which I have never been either. Um, <laughs> and I don't really know if I want that. I want more sunshine. Um, so, um, yeah, just to, to the point that you're bringing about just the progressive ideals, there is this um, assumption that so long as I say that I'm a, a progressive or I'm a liberal, that I'm no longer a racist. Right. Right. Um, and, and that no one is going to, ch- and no one is going to challenge you correct. to make this statement, but yet we are finally in a time where we're black folks are tired. Like no one, you, you we're at a, we're at a pinnacle point of, Nothing is new, right? The things that we're fighting for now are the exact same things that we have been fighting for from day one, right? Mm-hmm. So when I hear folks, well, first, let me say this really quickly. Seattle is a beautiful place aesthetically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are some beautiful um, things about Seattle. There is a vibrant community 
of BIPOC folks that are here. So mm. I don't want to negate the things that are wonderful about this place. Yes, it's yes. Because obviously I wouldn't still be here. But so much of it has been permeated, right, by this veil that you and I talked about, um, that it makes it very disheartening at times and sometimes very difficult to manage. Yes. And I want to give a specific example of this kind of veil and like the faux allies around the workplace. Because that to me is like a really important topic, especially now considering what we're currently living through. Yes. I think we're seeing more folks kind of come to the forefront and be a little bit more vulnerable and really be a little um, um, kind of like, I don't have anything else to lose at this point. I (laughs) I have to speak up. I have to speak about these, you know, situation. And it's just like, how we're being constantly made to feel. But I had a coworker um, um, at my last job misquote me and say that COVID-19 exacerbated violence against Black people. Mm. I had to sit there, right? I was like, hmm. I mm. said, mm, no, I'm going to have to go ahead and interrupt this young man. I said, no, we were dying before COVID-19. Non-whites, y'all are literally just now seeing that, right? Correct, correct. A pandemic didn't stop the commodification and killing of black people. You just have time to notice because it's not only in real time, but the world has slowed down and now you're stuck in a place where you have to look at it. Amen. I'm going to be real honest with you all in this meeting today. It is literally just another Wednesday in America for us. If you mm. want to quote me, quote me correctly. Mm. And if you want to check on us, right? If you want to check on us, because I don't know about you, but I... I the slew of text messages that came through right after the Ahmaud Arbery case yes. and the unfortunate, you know, killing of George Floyd, right? The tragedy of that, all these social media posts and all these messages and people checking on you and how are you doing and how are you feeling? And the same people, same white people that were sending out these messages to check on us or me in particular were the same people that were abusing me and terrorizing me in the workplace. In the workplace. Right. That is so real. That's so true. Yes. And, 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 and outside of the workplace, because what you do to me in the workplace bleeds over into my personal life as well. Yes. So while you're sending me a message about how you're sorry and, you know, you, um, is there anything that I need? Well, what I need you to do is see my words. What I yes. need you to do is pray me. What I need you to do is not send it to me in a private message. What I need you to do is see me as not a risk to your professional capital, right? Mm. But as an addition. So no more secret allies. It's over for that. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. And um, that is also, <laughs> that's this, this, it's like a moment where I'm that much more grateful for this platform, right? Where uh, women across the sector can speak authentically about their experiences. Um because it's not like we just entered the sector of nonprofit or like social entrepreneurship. This is not the first time. <laughs> it's not like the gates just opened and, and we're new to this. Um, it's just that it's becoming more apparent that um, these injustices have not just been happening at the hands of police sanctioned violence, right? It is also mm-hmm. at the hands of predominantly white boards, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Predominantly white um, nonprofit organizations. 
that have a mission to do good. Yet, mm-hmm. when you look at the makeup of the leadership, maybe there's a token that's there, whether that token be black, brown, in between, <laughs> you know, but it's it's mo- mostly a sea of white, right? Um, and, and those organizations that aren't, that are more representative of their populations and of the mission and the vision, they're not the ones that are receiving the philanthropic dollars to actually sustain and grow and scale. So it's just a complete, complete, complete disparity. And I, again, very grateful that you are speaking truth to power. Um, so to the, like to this point of, you know, this is just another Wednesday, Friday <laughs> of, for us. Mm-hmm. This year marks the 99th anniversary of the Tulsa Massacre. I believe it was June 1st. Um, what did you hear from the elders that either lived through that period um, and survived? Um, and how has your upbringing and the rich history of not just the massacre, right? It's like what what that thriving Black engine of economic wealth represented that then resulted in a massacre? Like, how has that upbringing and that rich history impacted the way you approach the work? Right. That's a really good question. Um, I think the first thing I want to highlight is kind of the essence of Black wealth in a community that was already thriving, right? And it was thriving on its own. Um, when you, I think about Greenwood, right, like from a historical context, just like I got to give, you know, Tulsa's props, um, that Greenwood was a historical freedom colony in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. It was one of the most prominent concentrations of African-American businesses in the United States during the early 20th century. It was popularly known as America's Black Wall Street. It was something that, you know, community coined as such, right? And it took off. And what was so amazing was, obviously, it wasn't just going on in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There were these communities across the United States, right? Mm -hmm. We had everything we needed within our community and it was for us and by us, Yes, right? It was burned to the ground during the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. And I I have to point out these things because I think it's important for those of us that don't know the history in which which white residents massacred as many as 300 Black residents, right? Injuring Mm -hmm. hundreds or more and leaving 5,000 people homeless. Mm -hmm. The riot was one of the most devastating massacres in the history of the U.S. race relations, destroying the once thriving Greenwood community. Now, I want to correct that last part, right, because I literally got that verbatim from one of uh, the archives. What it destroyed, because Tulsa is so rich and effervescent with people that persevere mm-hmm. and know how to dust themselves off, we came back, right? Like, we came back. Was it the same? Not necessarily, but we came back. Mm. And I think when I tell people, you know, that I'm from Oklahoma, I say that proudly, not because of the horror of that tragedy, but because of the perseverance of my people time mm. and time again. Mm. I tell, and I tell people this, that when living somewhere else, I'm not cut from the same cloth as a lot of folks around these parts that I live in now. Because mm. I come from a city in a state where there was a black Wall Street and businesses, you know, uh, dry, uh, that were thriving and black people um, 
pushing for, you know, excellence, right? Pushing for greatness and succeeding at those things, right? Yes, yes. Not stopping, not stopping, not being deterred from that. And even though there were, you know, obviously many obstacles that were in place, but I think for me, knowing that I came from a heritage of something that was divinely great at one point, mm-hmm. right? And was literally turned into ashes. People were still able to come up through that, right? People mm-hmm. still rose from that situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We still collectively, um, as a community, the folks that lived through that, right? Like I, I have to pay homage and I have to honor those families and the survivors of that. And I know at this current time, we no longer have any survivors of the Tulsa race riot. I think the last of the three survivors passed away in 2018. Mm-hmm. May they rest in love yes. eternally. But when you, when, you, when you think about that, like, right, when you think about coming from a place where your city is known for one of the most violent racial massacres Hmm. and not what is this 99 some odd years later we see a crop of these violent riots being enacted because of peaceful protesting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about the indignities and suffering of black and brown people And it is being met with force. It is being met with violence, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. All for the sake of what, right? That's what America really has to ask themselves. Like, what is the true resistance to arresting officers that have broken the law? Mm. We live in a country that will rather see it burn to the ground then the whole people accountable, accountable. Yes. for illegal activities, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And we're so and we're so caught up in we're so caught up in the language around defunding and people, you know, law enforcement losing jobs and things like that, and divest and reinvest and all this stuff that we're really losing focus of the fact that we need to. Obviously, there's a there's a global addressing of the situation. But I'm also a firm believer of identify the ones that are causing the problem mm. and let's deal with them, mm. right? Let, let, let's, let's, and let's be swift in that action and yes. how we deal with them to set the tone and precedent for the ones that are looking. Yes. Because you and I both know, right, it, it, decent human beings are not. We know that if you live in a society where you are not held accountable for your actions and you know there will not be any repercussions or consequences and you don't have anything to lose, you're going to do what? You're going to continue to do what you're correct, doing. Correct, correct, correct. You're going to continue to do what you're doing. So to say all of that, to close the loop on Tulsa and what it has experienced and the unfortunate atrocities of what it has, right? But then the, the amazing things that were birthed from that, the fact that that community is still thriving and the fact that we will continue to thrive in Tulsa, we will t- continue to fight and try to be as proactive as possible and be community, I think is something that is um, a beautiful, beautiful lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should, be, we should be learning from history, right? We should be learning from um, the past and we're not doing that. We're having a lot of cyclical 
mistakes and violence yes. and problems. There isn't, there hasn't been um, a uh, clear implementation of stopping it, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are things that have been suggested. Um, there are folks that are fighting. It makes me sad to think of folks like John Lewis, who we just lost, mm-hmm. who up until his dying day was fighting for the same things that he fought for mm-hmm. in his young life. Correct, correct, correct. Mm. That man's death should not be in vain. Correct, correct, correct. You're absolutely correct. And as you were talking about just like um, the resilience of the community, I was reflecting on even now this, um, you know, the, I, I, I would say kind of like the, the enlightenment that's happening across, um, I would say the philanthropic space, I would even say corporations um, to actually invest in black liberation, invest in uh, financially now, right? <laughs> um, and, and, and invest in the economic re-empowerment of, of the community, of the black community. And as optimistic as I am, just like you, it's kind of like that lingering question mark of, we had that. We had that and more. We had Tulsa, Greenwood, and more, right? And right. as soon and as soon as it was getting good, or you felt like it was just getting too much, it was just like, up. Oh, let's come on in and snatch that away, and let's let's um, let's enact this force that is going to create generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it time and time again. And not only did it create generational trauma, it it has become economic terrorism in Black and Brown communities, right? right. Because without right. wealth, without wealth, political authority is hard to obtain. Yes. You can't have Black capitalism if you don't have capital. Correct. Correct. Right. Oh boy. So it's not it's not just uh, handing over the dollars and then. Come 2021, it's like, oh, now there's a a new cause or a new, you know, like this is, <laughs> this is long overdue. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It's long overdue. And then give us our sustainment plan. Let's also be talking about how you're going to keep those dollars in and said community absolutely. or said organizations and help continue to generate that, that, generate that revenue or dollars for an extended period of time. And we'll even go a step further, right? When we don't get it, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's great. You said now that you're going to divest these funds, or we're going to, oh, you know, adjust this budget. Um, w- show me the money, right? <laughs> show it to us and give it to us. Like we we still have to we still have to hold folks accountable yes. throughout the entire process, right? Absolutely. So like we fought, we protested, we marched. We've done that. Okay. So they said this, and, and in return to that, this was what their response was. Okay. So their response was, we're going to meet one or two of those demands. So we're not done. <laughs> right? Correct, not done. correct. 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 We have to make sure that they're going to hold power to those words. Right. And make sure that it's not just lip service on behalf 
of the elected officials, elected officials and organizations and these people that are in positions of power, right? Okay. We have to remember these folks work for us. Yes. I think that's where some of like the like the niceties, right? That political respectability kind of um uh sorry, respectability politics comes mm-hmm. into play, right? Like mm-hmm. we're we're um we have to look at holding all level, levels of elected officials accountable on every level across the board, um, overly emphasizing that, you know, to show importance that we can't have folks split about who we should be for and who people shouldn't. Like, it, I have to sometimes get really frustrated when I see that there are, like, multiple people running for office um, that come from, like, the same community. And I'm thinking to myself, guys, we're splitting the vote. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, 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 we're kind of... Um, bad pun, but we're shooting ourselves in the foot, so to speak. Like, this is not the way to do it. This is how votes are divided, right? We have to look at who's in our community that we can support, right, and help elevate to the forefront to make sure that they're fighting for all of us collectively and have to, and, and on some level, understand that we may not necessarily agree exactly on everything but who's going to be able to push forth an agenda that is the most beneficial to the people that are the most impacted, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, community, we got to so stop voting people in that have a piece of their agenda based on getting votes, right? Yeah. Like lip service again, you know, just telling us what we want to hear. Quit allowing these um, officials and these candidates to hire black and brown folks for votes and then get rid of them without the intent of carrying through. Yes. Right. Yes. We got organizations and companies that do that all the time. They yeah. hire black folks without building infrastructure that nurtures us and keeps us employed, paid and able to grow. Right. Yeah. You get into these organizations and these campaigns and you get there and you're met with what? Microaggressions, gaslighting, in some cases, outright abuse. Yes. You know, it is organizations right now across the United States that are posting BIPOC people need it, need black chief executive officers. We want black and brown board members. We, it's, it's a must. We're going to do it. We're going to make this happen. We're going to, okay. And that all sounds good, but what are you going to do to build the infrastructure that is necessary to sustain them, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Pay them, right? Uh-huh. And make sure that they are able to grow within said organization. What infrastructure are you putting in place to protect and serve those folks that you're bringing in who in most instances, you're benefiting off of their work, blood, sweat, and tears, right? And you, you can say that you're again. Benefiting off of it, you know, you, you're benefiting off of it in a way that you honestly could never really pay the value that it's worth anyway, but you can come as close to it as possible. Yes. You're bringing people in. You're talking about being bringing people in. The next step is let's make sure that they're bringing them in. And then what are you doing to make sure that you can sustain them and put them in an environment that they will thrive in? Yes. Yes. Because a lot of those organizations that were saying that originally, I want you just as a little side project, all the organizations that were putting up their solidarity guides and their black power fists and, oh, we're going to give staff off for Juneteenth things like that, and we're hiring and we're looking for folks, and they were, you know, arm in arm with you and checking on you. See if from how long have the protests been going on now? From that day to now, see if they are still posting those things. Are they still checking on you? Are they still making thrives and efforts 
to hire and 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 to um, um, provide race and equity uh, tool lenses through the work that they're already providing and the programming. Like they're the 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 power is not only in the word; the power is in the action. Absolutely, we have got to hold these folks accountable. They cannot just say these things. Right. And they'll be they'll be spewing this. Right. Saying this and putting this out there to community and abusing the black folks that they got working that they already have there. Yes. Yes. All in the same breath. Yes. I actually, you know, like when I. (laughs) So episode one of Forward 40, you know, (laughs) like when we looked at the race to lead it, we looked at the state of women of color in the nonprofit sector uh, that were surveyed. Um, it was just very apparent, you know, uh, pay equity, very, very, I mean, come on now. Right. Um, also in terms of retention and, you know, professional development and Mm -hmm. kind of the toll that it was taking on even executive leaders, executive leaders that are women of color in these organizations, um, so I, I completely agree with you. A lot of the organizations and companies that have made their solidarity statements and commitments and, you know, we play the violin, right? Um, what are you doing for the people that are already there? And then also, if you're recruiting for more, right, what are you going to do to ensure that that position that they're in First of all, it shouldn't just be in diversity, equity, and inclusion. It shouldn't just be in anti-racism. That's mm-hmm. not like if, if you feel like that's the only thing that we're gifted at, you're already starting off wrong. Right. That's that's one of the problems right there, right? That's our specialty. That my ex my so you're telling me my expertise is based in the color of my skin. Only. Only. That's the only thing that I can speak to. And that's the only thing that I can speak to that speaks volumes, right? Like you said, you're already, you're already starting off on the wrong foot with me. If that is in fact with me and whomever else, right. is coming through the door. If that's what your basis is. And also how are you safeguarding when these, uh, well overly qualified, um, individuals are in those positions that they're not going to experience the backlash from those that are already within the organization or a company that are white. Right. Um, and are not as on board with a shift in the culture. And they're going to make it to be quite frank, hellish for them in those roles. Who's yeah. going, who's, who's and going to pre- who's going to protect their well being? Right. Girl, we can go on and on about that. Um. <laughs> oh my god! I was like, let me get off my little soapbox. <laughs> and I, and 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 I was I was there with you too. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, um, you had great quotes, um, and I really had to be. I was just like, oh, which ones am I going to use? Um, one in particular that resonated with me was when you said, am I really deserving of that crown? And it's very much like connected to what we were just talking about in terms of like retention, professional development and advancement. And as the newly appointed interim executive director for the Seattle Community Police Commission, claps hands, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Um, can you tell us more about your journey and that questioning of, am I really 
deserving of wearing this crown? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the quote and the message to that is important for me because if there's any other woman that's out that comes across this conversation that's feeling like that, I think um, it's important that they're validated and heard and hear what I felt like and how I've attempted to go across that bridge of reckoning, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I had, have, she's still here, my mother and my grandmother. When I say I was always made to feel like I could do anything. I know people say that about their kids all the time, like they brag on them and they, you know, whatever. But like, it's one thing to have somebody love you and believe in you and brag on you in that way. But it's quite another for you to, when you believe it, right? Yes, yes, yes. And so, the, you know, growing up, I believed it. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Like, if my mama would have told me, hey, go step out there on, you know, Lake Keystone and you walk right from this side <laughs> to that side, I would have believed her, mm-hmm. right? You know, that, 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 that childlike, you know, you before life gets in the way, yes, right? Yeah. Right. Before you grow up and you become a little cynical yourself. Like I really believe that. And I think the foundation of that was really, really good. I think the disconnect was uh, growing up and having other people, especially after I got grown, be in your ear um, and coming to this state, I have to say this city boy, it has been a huge life lesson for me coming somewhere, being in an environment where I grew up, being in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, Carver Middle School, Booker T. Washington High School, you know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. being around community, being around folks, you know, having teachers and neighbors and family members that were always rooting for you, you know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. always striving for you to be the best. That was amazing, right? Like that felt good. That is just I, I don't. I think you just have to be there. I, I mm. hope you get a chance to go, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It's the energy once you hit the air, right? Mm. It's just an essence. But to have that, right, and to be in an environment like that, and then be somewhere where it feels very much like the exact opposite. Mm. Um, to be constantly questioned in meetings, to constantly be told someone doesn't understand, to always have your expertise and your knowledge be um questioned in certain spaces um i and sometimes to be made to feel like because you had the education experience that you had that you were not relatable Hmm. i had never experienced that until i came here Mm -hmm. right and so when i got here um i would be utterly confused and I started to think well you know again this this crown that I was given this 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 um this uh level of respect and kind of um uh weight and responsibility of you know you do good because when you shine we all shine Mm -hmm. they're rooting for you back home um having that feeling to walking into a situation where I would be in a room sometimes with people that didn't know a third or a half of what I knew yet I would be the only one that was questioned, Mm. right? Or I would be the only one that would have to explain my worth or my reason for being in the room. Mm. It's such a difficult thing, I believe, for anyone to have to endure. And Mm. keep in mind, too, this is happening to someone that has been validated most of their life. Imagine someone being in a position like that that has not had that fed into them, right? Mm. Yes, yes, yes. 
right? And so I began to question, is the crown on my head, am I worthy of it? Am I worthy of all the praise and um, props and care that I had been given where now I have been placed in a situation where I'm made to not feel not worthy. Uh, uh-huh. And it took, <clears throat> it took me finally going back home, mm. right, for a little break. I was like, I need to go for a visit. It's time to go home. I need to check on my grandma. I need to see my family and friends. Like, I need to be fed. I need to be fed by the same environment, right, mm. that nurtured me all of my life. It's time for a visit, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got really sick living here. My health started to fail me. And I was like, it's time for me to go home. Mm-hmm. And it literally became a pattern that I had to do. Like I have had to, not had to, it's good for me to be back in the environment of people that I know love and care about me and help create a portion of the person that I am. Mm-hmm. And so those questions of was I worthy eventually were stamped out because I began to move in different spaces yes. in the city that I work in, right? Mm-hmm. I saw that the people that were questioning me, right, the people that didn't understand, they di- it wasn't that they didn't understand, they didn't care, mm-hmm. right? I, don't, I had a white colleague of mine who's a very good friend of mine tell me, Brandy, you know what? You're one of the smartest people in the room. I don't understand the whole, in this particular setting, right? I don't understand what they don't understand. He said, what I think is going on in this situation is they don't care. Hmm. Hmm. And, and on top of that, it wasn't a matter of not caring. It was the type of people that I was in the room with. To be the brightest, to be the best, which we've all been taught, right? It's a cultural thing for us, right? Like we yes. can't just, you know, be good. We have to be great. We have yes. to be the best. And we know even in doing that, we are still going to be the most challenged yes. in that particular yes. position, yes. right? Yes. Yes. yes, And so, and so um, it dawned on me that the people that were giving me the hardest time and that were making me feel this way, it had become their mission to strip me of the things mm. that made me who I was and made me great. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not cocky or um, disrespectful or boastful to think you're great. When we come from divineness. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. When we come from greatness, when we come from royalty, like many, many folks think our history began as slavery, but my history started before slavery. Yes. Right. Yes. All of us. Yes. Right. Yes. We are we are we are we are more than the atrocities that have been acted against us. And so I have very much been in the essence around people who have tried to use their white supremacy, because it is what it is, and it's just real blatant. I know folks say it's the East Coast thing, but it's the Southwest thing too. It's very direct. <laughs> Tell it like it is, exactly. You need to know what I'm saying. I'm not going to throw the rock and hide my hand. You're going to know how I feel. Like, I, um, I um, was the white sense, the uh, Southern antebellum white women syndrome. I was letting their words and their comments and their feelings, you know, sink into my psyche. Mm-hmm. I was letting the, the, um, young men who were getting promoted to positions that did not have the experience, the knowledge or the wherewithal be just promoted at whim and just stand by and look. 
Mm. You know, I was being told that, you know, there wasn't enough money for increases and, 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 you know, salary changes yet. It was obvious that there were, there was funding, you know, to be able to do it. It's just that my position was mm. not valued enough, right. Mm. Mm. To be mm-hmm. able to honor the work that I was providing. And so again, I began to question, I'm like, what am I missing here? But then something interesting happened. Mm. Girl, what was that? <laughs> I changed spaces. I changed spaces. Mm. I was introduced to a community and a world and a network of people that did not, even if they saw my black skin, which is obvious, right? So people to say they don't see color, they lie. Exactly. (laughs) But we're able able to see beyond it, right? We're Mm. able to see beyond it, over it, and through it, and see at my core who I was as a person what I can bring to the table, right, and my commitment. Mm. And so when I started to move and surround myself with those, the likings of those type of people, the doors that opened up and the blockings that were going on as far as what was going to help me grow and remember who yes. I was, yes. some of those things began to lift and I began to feel better. My health improved. Beautiful. Um, I started to... Um, just be validated in a different type of way. People were actually like speaking my counsel and wanted to hear what I had to say and was, you know, interested in um, how I made other people feel. And, you know, just Mm -hmm. this sense of you are here for a reason. Mm -hmm. We need you here. And we want to be able to show you, we appreciate you being here. And that's what led me on the journey and path that I'm currently on to work for uh, a system around police accountability and police reform. Mm-hmm. Everything that I've been through that did not feel good for me and that did not feed my soul led me to a place where I can give everything that I was given before to system partners and an organization and a team of people that will value what I bring mm-hmm. to this. To this, to this area of work and to this concentration and focus, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful thing, right? It's a wonderful thing. And I think so many of us, especially Black women, we are so undervalued, unprotected. Mm-hmm. And if we could be given a third of what we give out into the universe, oh, the forces we would be. Yes, yes, yes. More than a third, honey. Um. <laughs> yeah. but, but here's the thing. We never ask for much, right? And that's the reason why I said just a third, right? Look, a, a semblance of what we give back, mm. uh, uh, you know, and, 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 it's, and, it's not, and it's not much. And maybe that's what the problem has been. So now I am demanding my Absolutely. Word. Absolutely. I am I'm not asking. I'm no longer asking. I'm demanding. And I'm also um, closing the door. To things yes. that don't feed me. Yes, and, and don't, don't serve me well. Yes. Amen. Don't serve me well. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Ah, yeah. oh, oh, that just like everything about that. Everything about that. Uh, and it brings me to another favorite quote of mine. <laughs> all from all from my first conversation now. <laughs> Where you, you know, you said our pain is not taken as seriously. 
as black women, yet we are the soul, um, the, the shoulders, excuse me, and milk and honey to keep things together. And I usually, when I, you know, share an episode, I hashtag sip on this. It's like hashtag sip on that word right there. Um, why is the banner that we have held even for ourselves? Um, and also that has been projected onto us as being strong black women, a little problematic. Very much so. It is. Um, I used to think, I used to wear it with a badge of honor, like, oh, you're so strong, and black women are so strong, and oh, I, I know you'll take care of it, and, you know, um, I might be strong, but I also have my moments of weakness, just like everybody but else yes, does, yes. and I don't want to be the shoulders that holds everything up, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't want to have to necessarily be and I don't want to necessarily have to be that person. Um, no one asked me, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like what was the conversation around, you know, did did we want this title? Did we want or need this title? And then there's the part of um who's lifting us up and who's holding us up. Yes, yes, yes. And you know what? Sometimes in the strongest person in the room, I think people forget the folks that are strong also need to be checked on. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yep. The people that are strong are typically the ones that are struggling the most. Like they have been forced to be resilient and strong because of things that they have endured and have gone through. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Right. Right. So yeah, I do. I think, um, I think that, um, it is often, um, a misplaced kind of backwards compliment in mm-hmm. some regards, right? Mm-hmm. In some regards. Um, um, and it, and it, again, it took having a conversation much like with someone like you and it was wonderful. And somebody was just like strong. Like, did you ask for that? Mm-hmm. Right. Like who's checking on you? Mm-hmm. Who, yeah. Who's checking on you and whose onus is that to have? And, you know, being told comments, like I remember once I was, somebody told me, um, you changed the temperature in a room and we, we totally gauge how you feel about it based. And that's how we react or something. And I was like, that's not a compliment. What? Mm-hmm. I don't want that. To, I don't want that put on me. Mm-hmm. The temperature in the room. I don't know. That's a little too heavy. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't want that. And not to mention, I don't know if I trust your discernment. Exactly. I know that's right. Abilities or, you know, like, come on now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been, I have been in spaces like that as well. Like, well, you know, the team, I saw that they weren't speaking as much because of things that you said or because of how you look. So it looked like you were upset or you were bothered. Mm-mm. Do not project onto me how you really feel in the depths of your soul. Don't do Bye. that. <laughs> Please don't, please don't. And what would have been wrong with just saying to you, like, I felt some type of way. Were you upset? Because I, can we have a conversation about this? Because I think that's also really problematic. Mm-hmm. You don't get to police my emotions. Hello. Yeah. Don't don't police my emotions. Do, do not do that. Because I am someone who can articulate very well for myself if there is, in fact, a problem or not a problem. Mm-hmm. Don't, you do not get to, you don't get to do that for me. Right. And um, yeah, I just that message, that narrative of like, you know, you're you're upset. I, I think another one that's really harmful too for um, us as women is the whole when someone speaks on your behalf. Well, when Brandy and I talked, 
Or, mm. you know, that time I talked to Brandy, or, oh, my favorite one is this. Well, what I think Brandy said, <laughs> Brandy don't need to be said <laughs> I'm always sitting in the room like, well, uh, did I, am I in another language? Like, I get so confused. I've been in situations where I'm like, you know, I only speak one language. I'm attempting to learn some new ones, but I think that was pretty clear. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why anybody needed to say, well, Brandy said, or I think Brandy is saying, or my very, very favorite is, you know, the re-explain. And it's like, I literally just said that. I literally just gave you that idea. I literally just said that. <laughs> yes. And now you're taking it and owning it as uh, something that came directly from you. Yes, 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 yes. Right. And everybody's cheering and woo, woo, woo. And, you know, it was such a great idea. And I'm like, they literally just parroted what I said. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I get, with your background in counseling and therapy, you know, there's a duality of being a mental health professional and then also working in a space of advocacy that's tied to a lived experience, that's tied to your identity, Right. How has the work impacted you, like, especially what's going on right now? Um, and how are you taking care of yourself? Like, just as you, you were just saying, like, even the strongest people, those are the ones that you need to check on. Um, and what should, I guess, also with that, what should employers be considering to, and, and also enact, put in place to ensure that their people are holistically safe? That is such a great question. I mean, all of them. Um, I think the duality part, I'll start with that first. Um, having the mental health background, um, having um, the graduate degree in counseling, I think has really informed how I look at and approach work, even when it's not in a particular um, mental health capacity, mm -hmm. right? So like the work that I've been doing, um, uh, for the last few years and as of current date, um, I apply that analysis to the work, right? Like I am looking at what is the psychology of gun violence, right? What's the mm. philosophy around um, violence in our communities? Mm. What is the, what could be potentially the motivation in um, the illegal use of force or excessive use of force when it comes to policing, right? Mm -hmm. What are, what are behavioral pieces that we could be potentially missing in the grand scheme of all of this, right? Mm -hmm. Like what are people not saying, right? Cause I'm the person that reads things in the room that most people aren't even looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why zoom is a bad thing would deal it with me because <laughs> I'm looking because I'm looking at behaviorism, right? And now that I have the little Brady bunch boxes where everybody is placed and <laughs> you're talking about critical analysis going on. No, I'm teasing, but on some <laughs> level, though, I think um, um, having that background has helped me be able to look at the other side of the coin, right? Mm. And so, an example of that would be. Um, I have worked with and supervised a lot of community engagement teams, right? Mm -hmm. And there's this really innate drive to like really push people to, you know, you got to get out there in the community, make sure you're talking to people. What type of events are we having? What are we doing? How are we people keeping people engaged? And that is definitely 
all points of contention. That's all things that we need to be concerned with. But we also have to look at the other side of the coin, and that is how are people functioning in that space that are on the front lines, right? Mm -hmm. We're living through a global pandemic. So I'm not going to, number one, ask someone to do something that I myself would not be willing to do, right? Mm -hmm. I also am wanting to make sure that I'm checking in with people's mental health, right? So like anybody that's ever been a supervisee of mine knows we have a self-care check-in mm-hmm. in any conversation that we have, right? Just a point of how are things going? How are you feeling? Not that general, how are you doing today? Oh, you're fine. Okay, let's move on. No, mm-hmm. we're going to unpack just a little bit, right? Because I have to make sure that I'm taking care of the people that are taking care of the folks to move this work. Yes. Right. It, it's important, but I also have to model that for the people that I'm working with. So if I'm pushing and driving self-care, I in turn have to be taking care of myself too. Yes. Yes. And a lot of that, a lot of that is, you know, again, being superhuman. Um, at one point, you know, we had the TVs on and all, and there's one part of the house where CNN like never turned off. I put down a moratorium of uh, no more CNN, right? Mm. CNN can only be on a particular TV in the house, right? Where And it's fine if it runs all day in that one room. And if you want to have news time, go to the newsroom, right? Mm. But aside from that, we are not going to allow all of what is going on permeate the entire uh, vibe of the house, right? Because vicarious trauma is real. Just listening to that, yes. right? Yes. Day in and day out, seeing the images. I was so torn up as many other people were of the footage being replayed over and over again, or the snapshot of the officer that was kneeling on George Floyd's neck. And to me, that's trauma porn, right? Like I understand that it was something that definitely folks needed to see because it enacted people to move. Mm -hmm. However, at what point does it become a way to, further traumatize people and also incite sycophants who are hoping more situations like that play out. Mm, mm, We have to be mindful. We have to be mindful. Right. Mm. And so, yes, I think that is what my clinical background brings the mindfulness, the self care portion of it, obviously Um, being able to look at all sides of the coin, um, And just applying a critical analysis, right? Like people always say, oh, you know, (laughs) psychology, sociology, the ologies, you know, it's a bunch of fluff, philosophy. But it's it's actually not, right? It's It's about peeling back the layers, right? It's about looking at what motivates and what drives people to enact and do some of the things that they do. Yes. And you can't put systems and processes in place if you don't understand the why and the how. Yes. Yes, yes. And also that um, I appreciate you saying, you know, as a leader in the space, like doing that own check for yourself was like, what are you modeling? Are you modeling uh, that you know how to be healthy yourself? Are you, you know, projecting and um, assigning responsibilities that you yourself would not be comfortable doing? What then does that mean for um, your leadership? Like, what, what are you saying about yourself? Uh, what, uh, what messages are you sending to your team? Um, uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you. I guess to the with with the point of um, 
you know, police violence. I didn't provide the opportunity for you to just share more about the work that you're doing with the commission and like, what are you hearing from the community? Like what's, what, what's the pulse of things that are happening in Seattle right now? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, right now, so I started out as a actual commissioner about a little over a year ago and um, was drawn to the board and being a part of the work um, because I have a 14-year-old son, right? And um, I know that when I look at him, obviously, I see a baby, but to America, he is a threat. Mm. And so I wanted to be a part of a conversation and work that when he leaves this house, I can feel that he is going to return home to me mm. and that he will not be in a situation involved with the police that could have an outcome that is detrimental. Yes. Right? Yes. Just, you know, kind of, that is my motivation. Um, but as I began to be a part of the commission, I saw um, that, the work that was mandated, right? So just a little historical context about the CPC, right? So it was um, uh, evolved from the 2010 shooting death by Seattle police of a First Nations wood carver, John T. Williams, Mm -hmm. and like a series of other serious incidents, right, involving police and people of color. Mm -hmm. So it ignited public concern about bias and the use of excessive force in the Seattle Police Department, right? So um, after a federal investigation, the city of Seattle signed a settlement agreement and a MOU with the U.S. Department of Justice to mm-hmm. reform Seattle's police department's practices, right? And there was work that was established to be done to make sure that though that there was a correction, right, of unconstitutional policing mm-hmm. by Seattle Police Department, right? So the work, right, the settlement agreement and the MOU is being overseen by a federal judge, mm. right? And um, was appointed uh, and an appointed police monitor. So the CPC in itself, the Community Police Commission, was mandated under this settlement agreement okay, okay, okay. to help provide to help provide community input on needed reforms, right? So we are a body of twenty one commissioners hmm. from uh, different from so from different. Um, Oh my gosh, different organizations, uh, different uh, community stakeholders within the community. We all bring a different, a certain, a different level of expertise mm-hmm. and community connection, right, in uh, the city of Seattle, right? But it was an ordinance that we helped establish, right, to begin the work actually in 2013. Okay. okay. So, kind of where we're at now basically is there was legislation that was adopted in 2017. And it made the CPC, which is the commission, permanent because it was not originally. Okay? Mm-hmm. And the scope of our responsibilities um, and authority broadened. So we are, um, we went from having, I believe, maybe two to four commissioners in the beginning to what we currently have now, which is, I think right now we sit at about 15 or 16 people that are actually on the commission itself. And we have some seats that are open that we're actively recruiting for. But okay. we can be a commission body up to 21 people. Mm, okay. okay. Um, but the, the, so basically the settlement agreement is we are mandated to help provide ongoing community-based oversight of Seattle police department and the police accountability system. Mm. All right. And um, 
Oh, wow. Yes, definitely have our work cut out for us. But I think we are working with some great system partners. So we work with the Office of Inspector General. We work with the Office of Police Accountability and um, the mayor's office and obviously uh, Seattle Police Department. And um, I know you all have seen, I'm sure, across the different protests, um, the things that have been going on here in Seattle, as well as across the United States. And, you know, right now what we're really working on is um, how the demonstration management mm. is being handled, um, uh, which is a, a recent focal point, um, considering that our um, council uh, just put forth legislation to um, to um, limit the less than lethal force, right? So basically no pepper spray, hmm. no pepper spray, no um, uh, flash bombs, things like that. Um, and, and basically everything that a, a police officer would be able to use before drawing their firearm, okay. they are trying to limit or take away, which in my opinion and then this is not severely based on me speaking as a commissioner, but just as a layman person in the community, which is what I started out as, I have a problem with there being an extraction of less than lethal force, because what we're dealing with right now is excessive use of force, at force and officers flat out murdering, right, mm-hmm. civilians. And so when you talk about taking away less than lethal force, you're literally giving an officer their only option, right? To, but to, to use. Mm. But to mm. use, right, right? So <clears throat> there are definitely things that we have to work on. And because we're living through these things now in real time, right, um, um, it, it, it is time is of the essence, so to speak. So yes. we have a lot of committed, we have a lot of committed commissioners. We have a lot of uh, committed folks um, system partner wise to try to figure out a way to get this right. Mm. And that's what we're, and that's what we're going to do. And that's what I hope to be able to do in this newly appointed role um, to make sure that community voice is heard and served and that we're actually working with system partners. Like there has to be open communication and open dialogue. Yes. Again, that whole kind of criminalizing and penalizing uh, a group of people instead of seeking out the actual bad actors or the uh, problem. Yes. um, It's very much what has happened to black folks and BIPOC people in America, right? Like what has been happening to black folks for hundreds of years has now been turned and is now focused on the actual police as a whole. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel good, might I add. It doesn't feel good. So in a sense, in a sense, they are now, they are a system, an institution that is now getting to see what it has felt like to be black in America. Mm. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Guilty before being proven, you know, guilty first, you know, without being, you know, being proven guilty. Right. Um, you know, being uh, targeted, being isolated, being detained. So I think it's a situation where we have to open up the dialogue and have a conversation with, um, with our system partners and figure out a way um, to actually protect and serve and not uh, jeopardize people's civil liberties, right? Yes, yes. We, 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 we definitely have to be able to do that. And I'm open to that, and I, and I know that partners are open to that, and we have to, um, we have to work towards that, but we also have to make sure 
that we are adhering to the consent decree and the work, the the plan that is already in place, that is already being monitored, and um, kind of go from there. But I'm excited to do the work. It's something that's much needed. Um, I would like to see. My hope would be that the oversight that we do here in Seattle is mm-hmm. something that eventually becomes statewide. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that will take legs and grow and become something that is done across the United States because I feel like there should be community oversight of law enforcement. Absolutely. It's a Absolutely. It's Absolutely. A thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing, what you have been doing. And again, congratulations for um, the, the promotion in your appointment. <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you for doing this. Thank you for having a platform for women to be able to share their experiences and life lessons and just, you know, some camaraderie and friendship. And um, I think it's just so important that we have um, have um, support within our own communities, right, yes. in our sub-communities. I think this is really this is was much needed in so long time. I, I thank you for this. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yes, I'm inspired each time. And, uh, you know, for those that are listening and even prior guests know that it's I already feel so connected to you, to each one of the guests, even if I didn't. I mean, the majority of the guests, to be quite frank, I have never met in person before. Right. Um, And (laughs) Brandy and I, for those are like they're wondering, we have not met before. Uh, But it all it takes is just that one like moment where we are just vibing and connecting on our lives and, you know, real experience. It's just like, okay, yep, you know, this this story needs to be uh, told and shared. uh, And we also need to further promote and elevate our greatness um, at a time and in spaces where that is undervalued and overlooked. 100%. I agree with it all. Yes. <laughs> so your point about your son, you know, uh, also one of my favorite quotes from you <laughs> from when we spoke before, Um you know, when when you shared this with me about your son, I was like, oh, you know what? Go ahead, good sir. Like, I'm just so proud of him. Um, that he told you, I can never be fixed because I am ever evolving. Um, what would you say by, by way of recommendation and a very insightful and wise comment from your son? What would you say to young women and other women of color who are experiencing the pressure of a fixed mindset within their organizational cultures or feeling like they have to be the fixer uppers in their workplaces? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say um, reconceptualize what you feel like is fractured or needs to be fixed, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is this mis conception that we are broken Mm. right and I think it comes from the fact that that is a message that is sent to us okay Mm -hmm. um that is a message that is sent to us that is a message that is portrayed in so many different platforms so I would say reconceptualize what fixed and broken means um and really look at what are the things that make you unique what are the things that are celebrated by the people that love you, care about you, and lift you up. 
And then what are the things that you need to identify within yourself that you can celebrate and lift up mm-hmm. um, and reclaim reclaim the ability to create your narrative for yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't ever, ever, in this moment, if we learn nothing else, don't allow other people to create your story, create and drive your narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Because internal belief systems, right? How we talk to ourselves, how we push ourselves, how we motivate ourselves is so powerful. Yes, so it is. instead of saying I'm broken, I'm fixed, I got to work on this, I need to do this, I need to do this, be like, I appreciate this about myself. Mm. I am thankful that I'm able to say this to myself. I am thankful that I got up today. I am thankful that I have my voice. I am thankful that even though there may be folks that do not want to hear what I have to say, I'm thankful that I have the ability to say it. Yes. That I have the thought process to be able to say it and that I will find a space, right? Or recognize a space that's already available to me to be all that I already am. Mm. We strive so much to be better than what we are when we're already great. I just want people to remember and realize that about themselves. Mm. You're already divine. You're already great. You're already the most omnipotent power the most whatever you believe in, spirituality, God, Yahweh, whoever it is, whatever it is, there is something outside of yourself that's bigger than you that created you and wanted you here, and it is all purposeful. Your breath is purpose. Your breath is life. You are life. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, that was was several T affirmations in one, might I add. (laughs) I'm saying it to myself too, right? Like as I say these things, yes. I'm, I'm also taking it in. Like I'm not the authority on it, like obviously, but my 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 sense of it is because I also am working on working through feeding myself the same thing, the yes. same thing. Yes. Right? yes, 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 yes. Our breath is purposeful. I love that. I really, really love that. Um, you know, Brandy, as I just said, you know, I already feel so connected to you and I thank you for the work that you're doing. I know that it is not easy work. Um, you're, it's like once you're in a space that even though it's amongst others that are, you know, are aligned with you and are working towards reform, the reform exists because it's in place of an issue, a problem, right? A void. And um, within the system of policing, I I mean, that has been going on for decades upon decades upon decades, you know, just uh, broken. So um, as a black woman in this space, um, and I know that there are four mothers who have been in community that have been doing similar things um, that have held the torch that now you are able to. So again, I, I, I thank you and I commend you. And I also uh, would like to point out that you even said that in the, in the work that you have just like shifted or made adjustments in your environment to not even engage, right. That you needed to like, you know what, I'm not going to have that channel on. 
Like if you if you want to tap into the news, all right, well then go, you know, go go watch it over here that you are still making sure that you are sound and um and as whole as can be to do the work. That is very very important because when you are in this work, uh whether it is reform, whether it's advocacy, whatever it may be, Sometimes we become so overly inundated, feeling like we are missing out on something if we don't consume all information. And it is it is impossible to. We are not robots. We are not robots. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, as we close with our tea affirmations, I know you just gave us several, uh, but I know you must have a very, very special. <laughs> A special one for us. So what would be your tea affirmation for our listeners? So I think two things. Um, Definitely our breath is life Mm -hmm. and to remember to breathe, right? Um, And for those of us that are on a journey, I think I always have to give where I come from props. Um, Who I am was carved out obviously by my family, my mother, Corliss Goodall, my grandmother, Cordella Pearson, um, and all of the beautiful people that have been a part of this journey with me. But I have to thank my high school. I have to give props to Booker T. Washington High School in Tulsa, Mm -hmm. Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. right? I have to give props to the fact that a man by the name of Ellis Walker Woods, who was an educator, walked 500 miles to come to Tulsa and open up the first Booker T. Washington High School and was the founding principal. Mm -hmm. He was so dedicated to the type of education that I received, this man walked 500 miles. That is what I come from. Mm. So we have to be willing to walk the miles Mm. Mm. to dedicate ourselves to the things that we believe in Mm. and uplift. That's what I want to leave everybody with. Wow. Beautiful. Be willing to walk the mile. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Brandy, how do people stay in touch with you uh, and connect with you on your work? Absolutely. So um, I am on LinkedIn. You're more than welcome to reach out to me. Um, Brandy Grant from Seattle, Washington. Um, You also can go um, to the seattle.gov website. Um, under community, uh, sorry, under community police commission, and find out about the work um, that is going on. Mm-hmm. But please stay in touch. Please reach out. I'm always um, an email or a chat away. I um, love connection. Human connection is so important. You can never um, miss out on an opportunity to yes. befriend and get to know someone and help uplift their work and what they're doing, or just their spirit and who they are. So, again, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, and then you can also um, um, go to the seattle.gov website and see uh, the really tremendous work that the Community Police Commission is doing. Um, and just stay tuned. There's going to be more stuff that's going to be coming down the pipeline and uh, and, and definitely opportunities to, to see a dashboard of the work um, that's being done and being created. But please, please stay encouraged, definitely. Thank you. Today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brandy. Um, And everyone, please, you know, like the work that they're doing, I'm quite sure that there are other initiatives that are going on across the country. Um, And if you are in the space of this work, 
definitely, definitely could connect with her and her fellow commissioners um, in Seattle. Until we connect again, sip, sis, sila, share, and continue to serve.